As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, good morning. So good to see everybody in the house. Come on, let's praise God for His goodness and being here together. I said I wasn't going to do this, but I want to welcome all those that are joining us online. Not that I don't want to welcome you, but Keith, I saw you in the health club this morning. You said you always see me after I said I never see you anymore, so I'm glad you're with us. Hey, we good to be together? Ready to go? If I see you in the health club at 6 a.m., I might call you out too. Hey, if you've been with us, you know we started a new series, and each week what we're going to do is I'm going to read an open letter to you from history, maybe one that's funny. This one is serious. It was written back in 1963, and this open letter, it went viral because it was written by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He wrote it while he was sitting in a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama, for participating in a nonviolent protest against segregation. He wrote it, wrote it primarily to people like me, white pastors. He says, my dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in this Birmingham city jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and my ideas. If I did that, and answered all the criticism that came across my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything else to do, and I'd have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you're men of genuine goodwill and that your criticism is sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statements in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. Several months ago, the affiliate here in Birmingham, they asked us to be on call to engage in a nonviolent direct action program. We consented, And when the hour came, we lived up to our promise. So I, along with several members of my team, am here because I was invited here and because we have an organizational ties here. But more basically, I'm in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets carried the 8th century BC, left their villages and carried, thus said the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, So I am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my hometown. Moreover, I'm cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I can't sit by idle in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens here in Birmingham. Injustice everywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. But even if this church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. I have no fear about the outcome of our struggle in Birmingham, even if our motives are presently misunderstood. If I've said anything in this letter to overstate the truth and indicate an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. If I've said anything in this letter that understates the truth and indicates my having a patience that allows me to settle for anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. Yours for the cause of Christ, peace, and brotherhood, Martin Luther King Jr. That open letter was written to pastors 
so that they would change and that our country was changed. There are seven open letters written to churches so that our world were changed. That's what I want to talk to you about. Open up, if you haven't already, to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We're in a series. It's from the book of Revelation. We're going to study the seven churches and the seven letters. And so this letter today, it's the shortest letter. It's only got four verses. I counted it up. It's 129 words in the English Bible. If you're sitting here with your Greek New Testament, it's 99 words in the original Koine Greek. It's short, but it's powerful. It's impactful. It's one of two letters that doesn't get a rebuke from Jesus. They just get praised. I've entitled the message, Dear Courageous Church, because that's what they were. These are the messages, the open letters that we're going to be going through in this series so that you can see as we walk through Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Let me begin by reading this open letter to the church in Smyrna. In verse 8 it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you, may, you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days and will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Father, I pray your word would touch our hearts, that you would give me wisdom to share in a way that, that helps us to be as courageous with our faith as this church was. God, we need you, and we want you. We want to hear from you. So I pray you would give us ears to hear. Your faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. Well, each of these letters has followed a similar format. So this is the format that the letters follow. Let's start with a pronouncement to proclaim. That's the first thing. So what's the pronouncement? It says to the angel of the church in Smyrna. We covered this last week, but for review, the angel can either be a heavenly angel, simply means messenger, a heavenly messenger, or an earthly messenger. In this instance, it's written to the pastor, so it's the earthly messenger. Imagine it's being written as Pastor Craig, who's the location pastor here. It's written to him. It's written to me that, that we would hear from the Lord. But then the church of Smyrna, let's take a look for a moment at this map. And Smyrna is located about 35 miles north of Ephesus. It was another seaport town. It was really an interesting town because it had a lot of things that were happening in it. It was almost like the gateway, if you can say it like that, the center for science and medicine. Think, I don't know, um, Rochester, Minnesota because of Mayo Clinic, or if this was you know, uh, technology, it would be Silicon Valley. I mean, they had a lot of people that were coming through. It's Izmir is, is the place, it still exists today. How did the church get started there? Well, we don't really know, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But we can best guess, make an assumption that there was a group of people in Ephesus that 
that church sent out some of their best people to get this work started. And if you've been around here for any length of time, you know we love that. We've sent people out of our church to plant churches all over the place. Most recently, in St. Charles, some of our best, we sent them out to St. Charles to get that work started. Some of our best to Hinsdale, church planting, awesome stuff. And then it's the best way to get the gospel forward. So that's what was happening here, and that's what was going on in Smyrna as this church had a rich history and they were just getting started. Let's look at two of these phrases, though. This is the pronouncement. They're important phrases. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, the words of the first and the last. So that's an Old Testament title for God. It's used four times in the book of Isaiah. It's used, we'll see it several times in the book of Revelation. It's Alpha or Omega. It's indicating Jesus's power over time. Hey, he's got power and he has power over time. He's the first and the last. And then next, there's another phrase, who died and came to life. I think we know what that means, doesn't it? Don't we? It means that he conquered the grave. So Jesus has not only power over time, he's got power over death. And so we can ride in on his coattails that, that we can conquer death too as a result of not what we do, but what Christ has done. So that's the pronouncement. Next, he gets to the praise. And so each week, we're going to see there's, man, there's a praise. And what's Jesus applauding in this church? Well, again, let's look at our Bibles. I see threefold. I think it's a threefold praise. He says, I know your tribulations. So if we were to do this, if we were to double click on that word tribulation, we're going to see it two times in this passage. It's used five times in the book of Revelation. We see it nearly 50 times in the New Testament. In other places, it's translated as trials or as suffering or persecution. So this is literally, it talks about an outside pressure that, that comes in. And so it's an outside pressure that threatens you and I. And so that's what was happening. The outside pressure for them, it was the Romans. And the Romans were pressuring them that if you didn't bow a knee to Caesar and say that he was Lord, confess him as Lord, that then you could be persecuted, you could be imprisoned, you could be put to death. I mean, that was the outside pressure. It was a serious pressure. Now, they had an inside pressure too. We'll get to that in a minute. But that was the pressure that was being applied to them. Second word, poverty. I don't know, just out of curiosity, anybody ever been robbed? Go ahead. I mean, I know how it feels if it's like several people raising their hands. It's like, it's like you feel violated. I don't know, you walk in your apartment or your house and it's like all your stuff's thrown all over, your good stuff is gone. And that's the feeling they had. They were experiencing poverty because the Romans were taking their prized possession, their, their, their land, I mean, they were taking these things from them. So when we see this, it's like, oh, they were poor. Well, yeah, they were poor because they were being persecuted. But then look what it says, but you're rich. And so I love that in parentheses because what's that indicating for us is no matter what you have or don't have, no matter what your W-2 says, hey, we are a rich country when compared to the entire world. 
But whatever you have, don't have lost, we're all rich in Christ. The riches of what Christ brings us is far greater than what this world does. Amen? That's the truth. And so look, then it says slander. So the praise is threefold. It's like for the way you handle tribulation, for the way you're handling this poverty as people are stealing your, your possessions, and, and for the way you handle slander. And so if we double click on that word, interestingly, the Greek word here in the original language gives us our English word blasphemy. So there were people who were blaspheming or they were doing this, they were saying that these people, these Christians were blaspheming God. Who were these people? Good question. That's the next phrase. This was the inside pressure that I alluded to. They had an outside pressure from the Romans. They had an inside pressure from the religious establishment. That's who it was. That's what it means when it says this phrase of those who say they are Jews and are not. So they were Jews by birth, but not faith. The inside pressure that was coming to the new Christians as the church was getting started was, was the religious establishment. They were persecuting him too. I mean, they had pressure coming in from all different sides. And so isn't it true that sometimes the religious community can be the worst? Anybody with me? The friendly fire in the church is painful. I've been shot one or too many times myself. That, that what? That, that there's friendly fire and, and it's harmful. But I love studying the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. I love that you come and you love the Bible because it tells us something when we look at the details. Look what Jesus calls them. He says they're of the synagogue of Satan. This is why words matter. So he's saying that the religious community is being used as a tool in the hands of the devil. That's what he's saying. He's saying the religious community sometimes can be our worst enemies that we don't even know it. We think we're being godly and we're doing the right thing and, and, and we're actually being deceived and we're being used to divide and we're being used to destroy. I don't know about you, but that causes me a pause for a moment and step back and to evaluate my motives and what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And So they were called by Jesus, the church of Satan. I mean, think about that for a moment. That's how great the persecution was. These guys were getting applauded, man, for, for the way they handled these things. Interestingly, um, you may have heard of a, a guy named Polycarp. If you study church history, he was the bishop of this church. He became a Christian at a really young age embraced the gospel. And then what he did was the apostle John, who was, wrote this letter, he discipled Polycarp. And so he's a bishop in this work in this church. And so what happened to him when he got older was he's living his life out loud for God is that he refused to bow down. The pressure came. The Romans came to his house and, and he just let him in. Everybody's like, you got to run, you got to hide. He's like, you know what, just let him in. And so they, when they carried him away, and before he was about to be burned at the stake, th this is what he said. He said, for 86 years I have served Christ, and he's done me real wrong. They're like, we want you to recant. He's like, no. 
He's like, how then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a short time and is soon quenched, but you don't know about the fire that is coming, the fire of judgment and eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But why are you waiting? Can you believe this courage? Come and do whatever you want. Hey, however you want to get rid of me, extinguish this life, just do it. That, that, that's courage. Is there persecution today? Yes, thank you. This, this two section, thanks for, for sitting up front. Makes me feel better. Makes me feel good. Could you come back at 11? And they're saying no. They're just like, no, that's persecution. That's what, did you say that? I, I can't believe you guys. No, but, but they said yes, and I think they answer for the whole that, yeah, persecution exists. Did you know that... Um, Statistics tell us that Christianity is the number one persecuted religion in, in the world. And interestingly, if, 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 if you know um, Wheaton College, I was just over preaching in, uh, at our Wheaton location. I'll go back there for the next message. That's why I got to run out and not say hi to you guys. I'm saying hi now, how you doing? And, and so what happened, so at, uh, there was a guy at Wheaton College and a graduate, him and his wife, and he went to be a pastor in this part of Turkey, right where this church was. And you may have heard a bit on the news. He was in prison for three years, you know, back several years ago. And I mean, he finally got out and I mean, it, it still exists. But statistics tell us that 900,000 Christians have been put to death, have been martyred within the past decade. Do the simple math, that's 90,000 a year. I mean, that's one every six minutes, Christian being killed. That means by the time I'm done, during this message, six Christians will have lost their lives because they're living for the gospel worldwide. But persecution exists. We will experience persecution. It comes in many forms. For us, if we're living our faith, if we're living by the biblical principles, the culture is making us bow down to what they want. The culture is making us bow down to what they believe. And so Jesus He, he praises us when we stand up for him. Now, what's the problem? Because that's what comes next in each of our letters. Well, if we're looking closely, this church didn't, as I said, they didn't have a problem. And so isn't that interesting? No problems. Nobody in this church had any problems? No, I, I don't think it's like that. But do you remember the church in Ephesus that we studied last time? Their problem was that they left their first love, that their duty displaced their devotion. For these guys, it wasn't that their duty displaced their devotion, is that their devotion displaced their difficulty. Wow. Think about that for a moment. The devotion they had to Christ, it displaced the difficulty, the pain. Not that they didn't have any. Hey, we all got pain. We all got suffering but that God's love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his kindness and his presence, it, it overshadowed it. 
So I want to do something. I want to take a step for a moment. And this is like a message within a message. So I'm going to go quick. You can use this and study it yourself. Take a look at these passages. As I've read through the Bible, you know, since I was in my late 20s, these are some notes that these are the hidden blessings of trials and tribulations. So I'm going to go real quick. The first one is this. What's God doing? Like, what are the hidden blessings? What's the purpose behind the pain that you're experiencing right now? Well, greater growth and maturity in God. That's what it is. That's what James chapter one is all about. That count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. So trials come in different shapes and sizes. You're going to have a trial that may be different from me. You guys are going to have trials that are different from those in the balcony. Great seeing you guys. Trials are different. They don't come in one size fits all. But what do they do? Well, we know that they're tests. It's a testing of your faith and it's to produce steadfastness. And steadfastness, endurance has its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That you'll be spiritually mature. Second hidden blessing of the pain that you may be experiencing right now. Greater reliance and dependence on God. Hey, Paul talks about a physical pain. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians that he had this thorn in the flesh. He pleaded with God three times, please take it away. And look what Jesus says. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's like, I'm not taking it away. And sometimes we think, well, gosh, if I just have enough faith, then then I should be healed or this should happen. No, that's not what Paul's experience is. Now, praise God for the person who got healed. Awesome. But God doesn't heal everybody in this life. We'll all be healed in the next. Thought I'd get a little response for that. Maybe those at home were a lot more responsive. But seriously, like that's a big deal. So, so we're going to rely on him. And then the third, quick message within a message, greater humility and accountability with God. And so sometimes, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you are experiencing that difficulty because it's a consequence of your sinfulness and your stupidity. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're sinful and you're stupid. And, and guess what? God still loves you. For the Lord, yeah, give it to me again. Who was that? Amen. It was right. Just one stupid, simple person talking to another stupid, simple person. Amen. That what? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. And then it goes on to say in Hebrews that for the moment, all of it, man, this discipline, it seems painful, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And to those who've been trained by it, two more purpose behind the pain. This one, honestly, when I first read this verse, it it struck me because it's about greater obedience and submission. So the trial is, is about you submitting more to God and learning to obey. And this is Jesus, man. Hebrews chapter five. This'll rock you. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. When he went to the cross, that was a test of his obedience. Lastly, greater gospel acceleration and advancement for God. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, he's sitting in a jail cell. He's been in prison. It's happened to advance the gospel. So isn't it interesting that the pain and suffering that the church endured was actually the accelerant, it was the gasoline that moved the gospel further 
and faster. Boy, that's an interesting way for us to look at the trials that we have as a result of our faith. That they could accelerate the gospel in a greater way, in a deeper way, in my own heart, in my immediate family, even in our church. That, that pain and suffering, God uses it to accomplish his purposes. So what's the plan? Well, they didn't have a problem. Oh, well, here are the hidden blessings. Go ahead, put that up for a minute. Thanks, guys. Um, these are the hidden blessings. We like to put this up because sometimes people are like, oh, I didn't get that. I got to take a picture. Take a picture of that. <laughs> Did you get it or no? Did you get it? Dude, I'm always helping you out. I, one, Ita one Italian to another. We got to help you out. Okay, so, so that's why we do that. So this is the summary. And, and, then, and then so, but what is the plan? So we still have a plan. The plan is to improve it is, is, it's really threefold. And I, I, I want us to really get this. So verse 10 is extremely important. It's theological goldmine, but it helps us. I see three steps to overcoming pain, suffering, trials, tribulation. And so verse 10 is an important one. Let's look at it. It says, do not, do not fear for what you're about to suffer. So three E words. The first one, if you're taking notes, is expect trials and persecution. You got to expect it. And so he says, do not be afraid. Hey, as a Christian, we don't get a hall pass from pain. Like it's going to happen in this life. And as a Christian, we need to expect it, that it's coming, that that's part of the Christian life is that we're going to suffer. And so not that we're like, okay, give me more. I really want to suffer. No, no, but just as a Christian, understand and expect that it will come. That's why he says, do not fear. And then secondly, next E word, endure it. So expect it, do not fear, endure. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. This is the second time we see the devil, the enemy referenced. Four times in these seven letters, he'll be referenced. Second time, I think all the times we can understand this, that what you're going through by living the Christian life and by living according to biblical standards and by being shunned by the world, what you are going through, it's not, it's not an earthly battle, it's a spiritual battle. And so it is a spiritual battle. We need to recognize that everything that's happening this is a battle spiritually, man. This isn't just about you and your in-laws. This isn't just about you and your boss. Hey, what this is saying is your boss is being used as a tool in the hand of the enemy. Amen is right. So go to work tomorrow. You are the devil, boss. That's what you are. Don't do that. But he or she has horns, a kid. <laughs> but they're being used. And, and you know what the truth, they don't know it. And, and, and that's what we see. So expect it, endure it for how long? Well, look, it says for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now there's much written and much debate about what is this 10 days? So let me save you some time. Some people would say it's reflective of the 10 more suffering tribulation that this church was going to experience by the Romans. Others would say it's 
it's more symbolic. It's 10 sufferings that we as the church are going to suffer. What do I say? I don't know. Hey, let's start a new trend. You know what? Pastors don't know as much as you think we do. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I mean, but both cases seem like it could be correct. But what's the common denominator? And hopefully you get my sense of humor. I, I do think I understand the common. What can we all learn? Trials don't last forever. It, it, it's, it's only going to be a short time. When looking at eternity. And so that trial that you're going through will not last forever. Those teenage years will end. That kid will come back from college and say, wow, thanks. You, dad, have gotten a lot smarter since I was gone. Why do I know that? Because that's what I said to my dad. But in all seriousness, it's, it, it, it won't last forever. And I know that's hard for some of us who are enduring some physical pain and some emotional pain. And, and man, the truth is, you know, there's relational pain and it hurts bad. But it won't last forever in light of eternity. That's what Jesus is saying to those who are being snuffed out for their faith. And so that's what he's saying to us. And then thirdly, verse 10, we need to expect it. We need to endure it. We need to embrace it. And so he says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Now, it, our mind wanders when we see crown of life. This isn't the crown that King Charles finally got. It's Prince Charles finally, you know, he would talk about a long apprenticeship. I, I think he just thought, she's not going to die. It's just going to pass me. And so I've got some thoughts about what he did with that pillow. I, 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 somebody finally got that. I'm just kidding around. Can we have a little fun here? So um, we will not be using this tape for the next. Uh, but, uh, but in all seriousness, it's not that kind of crown. It, it's more of a wreath and, and, and that's another interpretation and it's what the athlete would get back in those days when you won the gold medal, they put a wreath around your head. And so it was like you finished the race and you stood in the winner's circle and you got first place. That, that's the crown. And so in God's economy, persecution is always, it's always rewarded. And, and so we need to remember and factor that in through the difficulty that we're facing is that God always, he doesn't always take us out of the trial, but he takes us through it. Did you hear what I said? He doesn't take us out. Think about Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't take them out. But then all of a sudden, they're in the fiery furnace. And the guard says, well, I think there's four of them. No, we only put three in. There's four. It looked like a God dancing with them. That God doesn't take us out. God takes us through. And his presence will get you through anything that you're facing. So lastly, 
What's the promise? Let's take a look at verse 11. And so each week, all seven churches get a promise. And so these guys got one. It says to the one who conquers, realize we're not conquerors in and above ourselves. We can conquer everything because of Christ. So you and I are conquerors because of who he is and what we've done and the fact that we've embraced him and his goodness and grace. But it says you will not be hurt by the second death. First death, I think we can figure that one out. Some of us are a little closer than others. It's, it's a physical death. And you get a little older, you start thinking, man, you know, what I put my life in? What, what, did, I, what did I do? What did I accomplish? And, 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 and that's the first death. For the second death, good Bible students, turn to Revelation chapter 20. Keep your finger in Revelation 2. We'll come back. Revelation chapter 20. And if you look at verse 14, the death in Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. And so the second death, just underline that in your Bibles, it's, it's the lake of fire. And so that's, Judgment, the judgment that's to come. That's H-E double hockey sticks. That's what it is. And pastors don't talk about H-E double hockey sticks much anymore in the church because we'd rather talk about God's love. And I understand that. But the truth is we can't understand God's love until we understand his justice and his mercy. And so it may surprise you to find out that God's love is not his number one attribute. God's number one attribute, do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? It's his holiness. That's why the angels cry out, God's holy, holy, holy. And so it's his holiness. That's why we needed the cross. That's why we needed Christ, because he loves us so much that he provided a way that we could be with him because we're unholy. And so God's love covers us through his blood that he sees us through Christ and the work that he's done. And so we cling to his righteousness because we're unrighteous. That's the gospel. So the second death, I've said this for the last 22 years, three words, eternal conscious torment. Isn't it great to come to church? Eternal, meaning it'll last forever. Conscious, meaning there's no reincarnation, there's no soul sleep, there's no annihilationism. None of that exists. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, learned it as a new believer for it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Eternal, conscious, torment. It's not something that you're gonna desire. And so interestingly, if we look back at what Jesus said to this church, the promise, listen, he's not saying it to unbelievers and saying, you know, talking about the judgment to come. He's not, he's not trying to scare anybody into heaven. What's he doing? He's talking to those that are already on their way to heaven. What's that telling us? I don't know. I think I can conclude from that 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 what Jesus is doing is he's saying to us as believers, he's saying the pain that you're experiencing right now, it's nothing compared to what others are gonna experience for eternity. 
that's what he's telling us, them. And that's what he's telling us. You're not going to be hurt by the second death. My presence is here. And I'm with you. Smyrna is, it's an interesting Greek word. It literally means, because you see this, you know, some towns are Smyrna and, you know, you see them and what does it mean? It actually means myrrh. And so myrrh is the fragrance that was used for burial in the New Testament. And so you would crush myrrh, it would give off this smell. So think about this persecuted church that didn't compromise, that they were conquered. And just as that myrrh was used to provide a sweet smell at a funeral, it was placed in the claws of the body. This church was a sweet smelling aroma to God because how they endured persecution. It's an unbelievable picture. My daughter, Allie, um, she's our oldest. And it was funny, this, um, I never forget when she was a little kid, you know, and um, she was, uh, she was a little kid and, and we're at the beach and she's like, dad, I want to build a sandcastle. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. And, and so she's like, I'm like, come on, let's go girl. What's, what's up? And she's like, but I want to use the sand over here. And she points to like a mile away. And I'm just like, well, Allie, there's no way to get that sand over to here. We'd have to carry it. And we're not, you're not strong enough. And then she said, dad, I have an idea. I'm like, okay. And she says, um, and this is, I'm a girl dad. I got three daughters. Just going to admit, this is the first of many instances where I lost. <laughs> that's what happens if you've had a girl. <laughs> you guys did, that's what's going on. And, and what, was, what was interesting about this situation is, so she says, well, dad, I can go over with the bucket. You come with me and then we'll fill the bucket with sand. And then I'll carry the bucket but then you'll carry me and you'll walk over with me and the bucket of sand. And I did it. You know, I did it. I mean, what are people thinking at this beach? I'm a moron. That's what they're thinking. I went back and forth and back and forth. I think that's a picture of us in the church. That, that we all got these buckets of sand and we're trying to do the best we can. We're trying to build some stuff. We're trying to do some stuff for the kingdom and for good. We're, we're trying to, you know, be good parents and good be citizens. And man, we're, we're just doing some stuff and, and we're all carrying our buckets and we're not recognizing that, that the strength that we have, that it's his arms around us. Amen. And he's the one that's carrying us and we think we're doing all the work and and man, he's taking us, he's protecting us, his arms are around us, and he wants the best for us. And man, he's our heavenly father. He's a good, good father who loves us. And he's there for us. And he never lets go. And he lets us build whatever we want to build, and he helps us endure. And so stand with me for a moment and let's sing and let's worship this good, good father. That's who you are, Jesus. You are our good, good Father. And as we even applaud right now for your grace and your mercy and your strength, may we give you the worship that you deserve. May you give us courage in the face of difficulty and to overcome some personal suffering. May you carry us. 
May we feel your arms around us because you are good. And may this song be reflective of our prayer and our hearts now. I pray in Jesus' name.